0: All right, welcome back to the Struck Podcast. On today's episode, we've got a wide range of topics. Number one, we're going to chat about Smart Sky prevailing in a uh, patent dispute with GoGo. We're going to talk a little bit about Airbus and uh, potential unsafe condition. They got a warning from both IASA uh, and FAA this past week. And we're going to chat a little bit more about Boeing. Uh, specifically this week, suspending work at their futuristic next innovation unit. So that unit covers drones, futuristic aircraft, uh, potentially EVTOLs, air taxi market, stuff like that. We're going to chat a bunch about hydrogen today in our engineering segment. So, uh, some potential planes being converted to it and as well as uh, Airbus concept, the zero E so we'll chat about those. And then lastly, in our electric tech segment, we're going to talk about Airbus. A little bit about Tesla Battery Day and some of the potential uh, electric changes upcoming in the future. So, Alan, let's get started. Tell us about this patent dispute uh, between Smart Sky and GoGo. So, obviously, there's lots of uh, intellectual property that you know is is pretty easy, I guess, to dispute. I've heard that up to forty percent of patent um, patent claims are thrown out when they finally actually get disputed in court. Uh, but what is this Smart Sky company? What does this mean to the industry here?
1: Well, both Smart Sky and GoGo are in the air to ground, ATG, they call it, uh, data transmission networks. Uh, essentially, cell towers are located across the country, and as you fly above them, it works like a cell phone does where it, you hand off between different cell towers. It's sort of how it works. Uh, the, the real interesting thing about all these systems is that you're moving at such high speeds and, and at altitude that the logic to switch between uh, tower to tower and where to be looking and to know where the next one is is really key to that function of the system much like the way your, your mobile phone works. Uh, and, and GoGo's been doing that forever. They've got thousands of installations on all kinds of business aircraft and have been the leader in that market for a long time. So SmartSky uh, has a patent out, which sort of overlaps. And, uh, and they're going to uh, – SmartSky is saying that they have some IP, they have a patent – and GoGo feels like it infringes on things they're already doing. And Smart Sky says GoGo is infringing on, on their intellectual property. And the Patent Office uh, basically stepped out of it. And so it, it, when you apply for a patent, uh, the, all the patents are go through like a, a, a pre-publication thing. So the, mm-hmm. there's a, a process in which the Patent Office sort of published the application and then there's a list of claims there and the world could see it and if i'm if i have a similar idea or i already have the idea and i i put it into practice i can tell the patent office like hey i, I that whatever company b is doing is is not patentable, and here are the 20 reasons why I'm already making it, it's already for sale. Uh, it's obvious. Uh, those prior, those knowledgeable in the art would have intuitively come to this conclusion. Those yeah. are the kind of arguments that were made there. Uh, but a lot of times, the patent office, like Danny you were saying, the patent office will not want to get involved in those disputes because they are not a court system. Uh, and the patent office can get in some cases kind of in a pinch there. So, what they tend to do sometimes is like, hey, there's too much of a squabble. Let the courts decide it. and you know, Let them hammer it out. Which I'm not sure is a great solution for anybody. But that's what it seems like has happened here is that the patent office said, well, you know, hey boys, uh, you guys fight it out somewhere else. We're out because we think we have justification in the issue of this patent. If there's some sort of infringement, you guys have to fight it out. Which, which they will do. They will clearly do. Now, both sides are saying that gogo is saying that uh, they don't need the smart sky stuff smart sky is saying gogo is infringed on their patent gogo is saying that they don't uh so maybe it is headed to the courts uh because the the real loser would be in the theories smart sky has nothing to lose here because they're not really in service they're kind of a, in a startup phase on some level okay and gogo is the big player and has all the money right so uh it'd be like uh a new well it's not like the way now but it'd be like when tesla when tesla was a tiny company suing general motors uh a lot of lawyers and a lot of time and probably not even an equitable outcome that's kind of where this 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 lawsuit is but it is fascinating that there's so much competitive playground there and i think because gogo's been so successful in that air to ground market that everybody is nibbling at their heels uh, because it, it's a profitable marketplace to be in. And it, it's, it's a system that GoGo has developed over the years f- um, from, I believe it was AirCell, and then they've developed over the time. But essentially, you know, GoGo has been there for a while. So they, I think they have um, something to say about a newcomer, which is what's going on. So it's just turf, turf wars a little bit. But it's interesting to see it play out now uh, in the middle of a pandemic. That's, sure. that's the, f- the weird thing
0: yeah that makes sense so let's talk about this uh this warning so the airbus a320neo family of aircraft they got a warning from both uh, the faa and yassa and they YASA basically said that there's been a bunch of instances where engine perturbation perturbation was noted when fuel was mixed with Cathon fp 1.5 biocide so mm-hmm. alan Can you interpret that for us here? What is an engine perturbation (laughs) and what is, you know, what is the substance that we're mixing fuel with?
1: Okay, so engine perturbations always mean or almost always mean change in thrust, uncommanded change in thrust, which are usually on the less thrust case. Uh, So if you're flying along and all of a sudden your engine throttles back. With uncommanded, because of a fuel quality issue or whatever, it's sucking through the fuel system that doesn't want to burn properly or is contaminating the system. That's a big, big problem because it can happen on both engines simultaneously uh, on, on an A320 or Boeing airplane on the twenties and jets or. So it is a concerning thing because it's like a common point failure. If something's wrong with the fuel, you can forget about flying. And a, a biocide is a basically a chemical additive to fuel that uh, helps kill mold and mildew and sort of growing things. So if you think about I know it's hard to think about because you, you don't really think about this in your car, uh, but uh, anytime you've got a fuel system... It's enclosed and you add some water to it and a little bit of contaminants air, uh, which carries all kinds of stuff floating around it all the time. Uh, so in a, you can get things growing because moist enough in the tank to get mold, mildew and all kinds hmm. of funky things growing in these tanks. So if you ever open up a, a, a big aircraft tank, uh there's stuff in it right and, and especially if they have, don't have any additives uh so what is done is they basically put in uh, a, a fungus killer <laughs> much like you use in the not, it's not the same stuff but i mean you know like you're using your bathroom to clean the bathroom or something of that sort when you want to get a fungus and mold uh, something something's water related and so there's an additive placed in it the issue is, is that additive uh, obviously gets burned and pushed to the engine. And if that engine is uh, uh, doesn't like that additive, then it may gum up st- the system and not perform as well, right? If it gummed up the injectors to the engine where it's spraying fuel into the jet engine, that would be a problem. If it's starting to gum up some of the, the control system components, that would be a problem. So they it sounds like they found that they've had some actual incidents, not accidents, but incidents where that they've determined that that fuel additive is affecting the performance of the engines, which is really, really, really serious.
0: Yeah. Back um, in uh, February of this year, it says the Titan Airways Airbus A321, the, uh, it looks like an engineer accidentally poured in. Almost forty times the amount of the permitted dosage. Ooh. And uh yeah, they said there was one the left engine had some surges and the right engine stalled. So Wow. Yeah. Not ideal. Ouch. So that was an engineer error? Yep. Human error.
1: <laughs> Humanslash
0: yep. engineer? Yeah. Okay. Well
1: so. uh yeah. I, 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 I saw the, the little article talking about the amount of time to clean that up so basically they're forced to drain all the fuel out of the fuel tanks and get in there and clean out that additive to make sure it's not there anymore and it was about a couple thousand dollars per airplane which sounds like it's not enough money uh, but draining fuel tanks is never really any fun because if you're, if you're trying to get all the fuel out and you're you got sort of these collector cans and you got these drain valves that you're pushing open, the fuel's falling down, it smells awful, Uh, and you're trying to collect all that fuel because you don't want it to land on the ground obviously you're going to be able to reuse it so it's just the whole thing smells and once you get it that far, how are you going to clean it out? Well, more than likely someone's going to get in there, pop up one of the the wing tank access panels and crawl up in there and take a flashlight and look around and see what's going on and make sure you don't have any other things, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it makes for a fun day and and you know the the risk on a lot of aircraft today because they have inerting systems is uh well, you know, in this particular case, hopefully the system is open. But, you know, the, the, the fuel tanks are pumped full of nitrogen all the time. So you don't want to open up a fuel tank that's been pumped full of nitrogen because there's no breathable air. There's no oxygen in there. So, you know, there's added concern about the nerding systems and opening up the tank, let it breathe enough where there's oxygen in there before you stick your head up in there to go look to see what's going on. So there's, it's it's not the most simplest thing in the world. I know it sounds like, you know, in a, an automotive fuel tank, if you got to drain your fuel tank in your car in your honda could you do that tomorrow dan like i'm just gonna do that it's not the easiest thing in the world to go do and drain the fuel system it's gonna take time and that that's a killer for an airline absolute killer
0: so transitioning here uh boeing has suspended work at its next innovation unit so this unit covers uh potentially delivery drones urban air vehicles uh supersonic all like the again like the things that are a little outside the box so We've been talking about EVTOLs a bunch and electric aircraft, and we're going to talk about battery, you know, some of Tesla's battery tech and just the, the, the direction, obviously, with hydrogen power. The industry's got a lot of futuristic things up in store for it. But what uh, what does this mean that Boeing's pulling out essentially this whole this whole future tech race?
1: It means that they're trying to, to hold on to cash and stop any cash burn on future projects that they don't really need right now that's what it means because that, that group's in that group's in, is in st louis which is the old mcdonnell aircraft group um so that's a, an older facility it was mostly making military fighter aircraft for the longest time they haven't made any production airplane there in forever they used to make they're around when the apollo project uh, mercury, I mercury mercury too so doing spacecraft stuff with nasa long ago too uh the so it's always been sort of a, a techie place um, for when Boeing merged with them years ago with McDonnell Douglas years ago, and with the advent, you know, they got they got seven thirty seven problems. They have seven eight seven problems now. They got triple seven kind of x on hold. You just got to stop the cash burn and little tiny airplanes right now are not the big selling point. And yeah, for sure. They figure they can ramp it up pretty fast because they're, it looks like they're trying to keep the engineers, which is fantastic because if they do decide to ramp it back up again, they can put the band back together and start making an, an airplane. It's hard when you let those people go to try to regroup and get that system back up and run it again. That, I think that's to be the harder part. So it isn't like they, they've, they've temporarily disbanded the group, but it doesn't mean that they're permanently disbanded. So I think there's hope for the future.
0: All right. So in our engineering segment for today, we're going to chat a bunch about hydrogen. So first uh, topic of conversation here is, it uh, looks like a bunch of jets are, well, not necessarily all jets, but uh, so universal, universal hydrogen, is about to, uh, they're working on a plan to re-engine Dash 8 and ATR 42 airliners with fuel cell electric propulsion and refillable hydrogen modules. So why these two jets, Alan? Well, they're not, they're not jets; they're oh, turboprops. Yep, misspoke. Yep, yep.
1: So they're they're high wing turboprops, and if you've uh, flown short distances in anywhere in Europe in the United States, you've probably been on one of those two aircraft. Uh, the ATR is made in France, and the Dash Eight was made in Canada. Uh, but they're just very reliable, low at this point, low cost aircraft to acquire to make the mod to them. Uh, and they're also really dependable aircraft too. So they have a lot of service history and, and dependable flight hours. So it's a stable platform to change one variable, which is the, the fuel system and to try to drive it to a hydrogen fuel system. I, 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 have seen some of the sketches on it and, and Dan, you can kind of give me some advice here. So they're taking these hydrogen, uh, like fuel tank cargo pods i'll call them yeah and loading them into the sort of the the back end where they would normally put cargo in the back end of the atr 42 Uh, so those things would be really cold like liquid hydrogen is really 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 cold (laughs) so what does that look like i mean is it like the smoky container box that's getting shoved at the back of this airplane i I
0: think it's going to be like that pizza you know like that that black uh nylon thing that they deliver pizzas in it'll be like that just bigger just bigger (laughs) so a guy comes he's got the hydrogen pods in one hand and he goes hey i got your hydrogen ready to go no but you're right that that probably takes some i mean that seems like that's got to be a major major part of the of this retrofit yeah. of just venting redesigning it. and mm-hmm.
1: temperature, right? Venting and temperature, because there's gonna be some venting going on and they gotta be, I guess, venting that stuff over, over the edges as the, as the hydrogen warms up. Not to up mention a, it-
0: uh, a, you know, like a system to keep everything just in place. I mean, these pods can't just rattle mm-hmm. around. There's gotta be a, a pretty big cage. Right. And there's yep. just, got, I mean, you talk all the time about adding weight and how that mm-hmm. just complicates the design of, especially new aircraft, yes. but. But yeah, this seems like there's just like a lot that's got to go into to securing this, getting the fuel delivery system working, like you said, keeping the refrigeration and venting and all that stuff in check. It just yeah it seems like a really complicated switchover.
1: Yeah, because you're taking the fuel is stored right now in the, in the conventional versions of these aircraft. The fuel is stored in the wings, uh, or in, in the center section too. So there there's uh, you're basically fly with those wings empty. And they are made to do that, I think. But I think on the loads case, I'm be curious to know if that's smart on the loads case, because there's, there's always some intrinsic weight there mm-hmm. normally. Uh, so now you're gonna fly with them empty. Uh, not sure how that's gonna go. And then, and then the, you know, the taking in and out of, of fuel systems are not, I, I, don't, I can't think of a fuel system that's designed today for any aircraft that's sort of removable.
0: Which so is an interesting sort of concept. Case. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. an interesting concept, but it does seem yeah. clunky. I or guess maybe not clunky, but a lot of moving yeah. parts. A lot of... Yeah.
1: Right, right. So you're not making the fuel tank system integral with the aircraft, which is interesting. Is it because you, you, you don't have the hydrogen source on site to fill it, or the filling process is risky? There's something about that I don't understand, because normally... If you wanted to change the fuel system, like like we gone to some green aviation fuels, we don't really change it in the way the way the fuel system works. Obviously, if you go into hydrogen, you need to because there's a temperature and it's a gas and you're, you know, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. things mm-hmm. about that. So um, the certification. <laughs> so I wonder what uh, the certification authorities are going to say about it and what other things are going to impose on them as they go through this process, which is the big unknown, right? If you get into this process and you, and you got a year in and then the FAA or somebody transport candidate, Yasa says, Hey, we're going to create a new rule. We didn't envision putting these hydrogen modules on the, in the cargo, where you they have it, you haven't envisioned putting these cargo modules full of hydrogen in the back of this aircraft. We're going to write some special rules for you. You just see costs explode. Mm-hmm. There you go. And you can just get, pull out the checkbook <laughs> call the investors and ask for some more money because that's what will happen and uh, that's why these if you're going away from some sort of conventional system that's what that's what the huge risk is is that you don't really know what the certification authorities are going to ask you to do and uh, there's really no precedent for it
0: well yeah and, and the other thing i mean you mentioned why can't they just fill the plane directly like with hydrogen and right. as we're talking about weight, I mean, you talk about the surface area of the metal of these containers, you know, whatever they are. You know, if you have eight eight individual pods, the surface area to enclose each of those pods is going to make it way more metal surface area than if you just had one big, you know, mm-hmm. one big canister holding it all. Like you see it like those, uh, you know, those gas, gas storage places where it's just a huge tank, which saves, yep. I mean, much less metal surface area. So there's going to be way more weight. So you wonder why. Why the module modular design? Where there's so it appears like they're kind of small. Like they might need to load eight of these on there. Where yeah, you think I, if guessing, there's half the number of them, they're going to save some weight there. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know.
1: It looks like it's a forklift thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: you, they have access to a forklift, which is the maximum lift capability is X, and so they want to keep it below X. Uh, that's what it kind of looks like. But you're right. It does. It does add. A, what aerospace engineers would qualify as dead weight. It's not providing any function besides the hold, uh, you know, make it compatible to lift around and move around on a truck or on a forklift. Uh, as far as the airplane's concerned, it doesn't add any benefit. So you're right.
0: So let's chat more about, uh, hydrogen. So Airbus, they have a new concept aircraft and this is in their zero E line. And this is a a a blended wing aircraft mm-hmm. concept which it yep. basically looks kind of like a boomerang also like a. Uh, I, I think it's called a <laughs> is it a sailfish it's have you seen that one it, i think it's in the whale the whale family but it it looks really? maybe it's a sunfish but it's this huge sort of whale-like creature <laughs> and it just they have like a similar shape i can't think of the exact one i should have done my animal <laughs> kingdom research before the show but manta ray um, I mean, it definitely has a Mantra vibe, but yeah, I'll have to look this, this creature up later, but, uh, so, I mean, (laughs) what, when we're talking about blended wings, I mean, why do, why do aircraft not really use that design today? Like, why would it work in this design? And if it would work in this design, why haven't we been seeing them in the past?
1: Uh, it has to do with the, uh, sort of the evolution of aircraft and how they built aircrafts, and the simplest way to build aircraft is to make them a bunch of cylinders, and because you're pressurizing them also, so you, the easiest thing to pressurize is a cylinder. Mm-hmm. It makes gas cylinders all the time, so it just it equalizes the forces, it does all the things you want it to do. So the sh- the shape doesn't really change from a, some sort of roundish thing. Uh, And yeah, it's just efficient use of space, right? So you can make a tube, you can put luggage underneath, you can put baggage up top, you've got life rafts in the ceiling, you know, you can kind of niche it out where everything needs to go. When you go to a a blended wing concept, it changes the way everything goes together. Mm -hmm. So it's like starting with a clean sheet again. And the reason you do that is that you got to put a hydrogen tank or tanks somewhere to store the fuel, and it's going to have to be insulated, and it's going to have to have all the stuff. So uh, instead of creating basically, a, you know, some of the concepts that's been tossed around for a while, it's just basically putting a, a basically a hydrogen cylinder storage tank in the back or in the back of an existing cylinder-like aircraft. So like taking an Airbus three hundred and twenty and just making it longer, where are you going to put the cylinder back there? And the wings would be essentially empty of fuel. So, you know, what do you do with that empty space? Who knows? But uh, so I think it's the trade-off, right? So you you could take an existing Airbus 320 design, extend the back of it, put a hydrogen cylinder back in there and leave the wing tanks empty. But where do you put luggage? I guess underneath, I suppose. Or you could just like clean sheet the whole thing and say, all right, if I was going to make the most efficient aircraft I could, the blended wing is kind of that shape can i then full up full of hydrogen somehow probably because okay. you have room real estate to do it the issue with the blended wing is that um, really two things well three one you haven't really f- have any history of flying such a aircraft before uh two uh there really are no windows so as a passenger you're sitting in this enclosed space i guess with- oh
0: yeah i didn't think of that you're right and you're just there's gonna be way more area where you're stuck yeah yeah hmm. yeah
1: it wouldn't be any windows so to speak so people don't like being locked up in tubes with windows and i can't you know locked up in a, in a cylinder with no windows is going to be another level of terror for uh, some people.
0: you know where this is going alan do you remember the movie the fifth element where they're yeah. going on this flight you know bruce willis and uh, i can't remember uh lilu they're going to floss, in, pa- floss in paradise well he's he's on the place they're going he's on the uh. okay yeah yeah yeah. okay right but the, anyway anyway my point is they they all go on this this big spaceship and they all go in their little tubes and then they like hit a little airlock mm-hmm. and they all just pass out and then they just arrive when they get there so right. which I, to me sounds great like if you just fell asleep and you know or like zonked out to sleep and you just woke <laughs> up at your destination <laughs> it's like time travel essentially so really? may, maybe they'd have some sort of component like that i mean if, if, if it was really viable and they're like hey Look, this is this is the way this is going to be. We don't really have, you know, window capabilities, but it's going to get you where you need to go. Blah blah. blah. It's going to kind of be like a little a sleeper pod kind of experience. That might be kind of cool. I, might, I mean, I might do that. I don't mind kind of confined, cozy spaces. You have like a movie and whatever. I don't know. We'll see. But those are legitimate design limitations, you know. So
1: yeah. Yeah, they are. And, and, and the other thing about the whole whole blended wing design is it changes all the systems. So we've evolved for a little over 100 years in designing aircraft systems a certain way with a certain sort of knowledge base behind it. And now we're, we're essentially going to take that out and dump it all and start all over again, which is where errors occur and calculations or miscalculations are made. And then you have problems with airplanes. So it's a huge risk. Uh, and that's why it really hasn't been done by anybody on any level. Uh, The blended wing, the only thing I would even call remotely blended wing is like the B-2 and then the predecessors Mm -hmm. to the B-2 bomber, but after that, there really aren't any. Even the B-2 wasn't the most successful aircraft in the world. I think we made 50 of those, and there's been a couple of crashes, so we're probably at 45 or so. Uh, So the, the blended wing design, even though the aerodynamicists love it, it does have its drawbacks and i kind of wonder if if part this is that f- f- head fake thing that boeing and Airbus like to do with one another once in a while which is say hey we're going down this pathway and then last second oh we you nah, know nah, that's a bad design we were already working on another design anyway and mm-hmm. <laughs> so get your competitor to chase you right and uh it's gonna kind of has that feel to it for right now because there's so much money and work to be poured into this project uh unbelievable sums of money it will be billions and billions of dollars to to make this thing happen it really will
0: all right so in our final segment today we're going to chat a little bit again about some evtol's first one on the docket today is the airbus vahana so obviously with boeing sort of exiting you know this sort of market this game um you know airbus has had this project going on since uh 2015 so it's a four-year-old project and as of november of 19 uh the vahana had taken 138 flights 13 uh 13 and change flight time hours um they've flown about almost 500 nautical miles with their, their farthest flight being 27 nautical miles. So a uh, really unique aircraft, um, you know, but I think the big talking point here is, well, number one, it's, I think it's always a big deal when the, one of the big aircraft manufacturers is doing something in this space, right? This isn't like any of these, you know, Lilium or um, Jauntair Mobility or Joby, These those are all much, much smaller companies than obviously like Airbus is a big player. Yeah. Uh, so it's a big deal anytime Airbus or Boeing are doing something in one of these, you know, spaces. But um, it's a it's a unique. But this one does have like the uh, what do you call them, Alan? When they the 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 props will turn. Oh, so the tilting props. Yeah, tilting props. So this has yep. tilting props. Uh, it's basically like a one seater and very cool, sleek design. But I think our talking point for today more than what this one can do, which this doesn't seem like it's really destined for anything in specifically, but like, where, where is this, uh, where is this going? You know, Airbus tests the waters and they, they push, you know, the limits of of what aircraft can do. And then Mm -hmm. you have companies like Tesla as well, uh, you know, announcing some really cool battery tech where that might change the way all of these EVTOLs are, are are the direction that they're all headed because Hey, new battery tech makes so many more things now viable. You know, we can do things with less weight, lower cost, higher you know capacity, higher power. Uh, so what what's your take on some of the stuff Airbus is doing, some of the stuff that Tesla's been doing? I feel like there's been a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the space.
1: Right. There's, there's been a lot of activity in a, in a variety of different areas. The aircraft designs and the Airbus design is, at this point, commonplace, I would say. You see a lot of similar aircraft in yeah, terms of shape agree. and complexity, right? And they're all kind of starting to look the same. Uh, which shock! Shock of all shocks, right? And you know, mm-hmm. the engineers finally figure out what an optimum design is, and they're all kind of coming up to the same conclusion. No shock there. Uh, but the 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 fact that Airbus is is putting their toe in the water, so to speak, to test it out to see what the temperature is of, the, of of that marketplace, and to see how they can can function in that marketplace, because it's a totally different thing to go after. But you know, when you're making it. F- A300, 340, 320. You know, those are big, massive things with huge amounts of infrastructure. Big facilities, a lot of support. Engines, fuel systems, hydraulics. It's just enormous complexity to uh, getting all that to work together as well as they do. And then to try to then go to something extremely small, lightweight, and still relatively complex with a lot of computer integration and system integration into it. This is a different animal. And I'm not sure it'd be, it it would, it's sort of the Tesla GM thing right now where uh, you really got to think differently about how you do these designs if you're going to make any money at it yeah Uh, and you can lose money at it pretty 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 easily i think it's where people are some of these companies are getting really realizing like oh yeah this looks cool but it's really difficult to build and i can't afford to make this thing the way we're going to make it we need to redesign the way we build and think about aircraft and they don't have the cash flow to do what tesla is doing Mm -hmm. so the, the the tesla the tesla changes are dramatic uh, on an engineering level maybe not on a on a uh cool car level because they haven't really introduced any real new car concepts so to speak so they're working on sort of how you make the car yeah. and how you cut a lot of the costs out right and that sort of philosophy uh, the, the the what musk calls the first principles let's get down to first principles i need to get from a to b with this product how do I do that in the most efficient way? Not how do I do it today or how the rest of the world does it today because that's evolved over time. And those tend to yeah. be sort of, uh, com- they went A to B to C to B to D to get to the final final configuration of the, of the product. Uh, they want to go from A to B in the most efficient way. And that takes an enormous amount of cash to do. And on, a, on an airplane, small airplane in which the quantities will be limited, I'm not sure you can do that. So now... Now I think what's happening for a lot of these companies is they're trying to figure out how to make them as inexpensive, not cheap, right? There's a difference. Make, make them cut down the manufacturing cost, but keep the quality up and the consistency up. There, there's where the driver is. Anybody can make an airplane fly today for the most part. What the killer is is keeping the cost down so people can afford to buy it and you got a profit margin. That's where the engineers are really going to take hold. Which is also why I think some of these uh, companies are ending up in Silicon Valley or in in very techy areas instead of Wichita, Kansas. Not that Wichita, Kansas is great. I, I love Wichita, Kansas. Uh, quite honestly, it's a great place to live. But uh, when it gets so computer technology driven, there's a whole pile of engineers out in Silicon Valley. That's not all they think about, and that's what they've experienced. So, you can actually tap into sort of that Tesla experience. If you see those Tesla people kind of getting scattered around and Google people and all, and all just that they think things a little bit differently. They haven't been in that industry and have a certain mindset that they're taking a fresh sheet of paper. Now, is, will it work? We're going to find out. But I think that's sort of the philosophy, even even with Lilium and some of the others that are based in Europe, is that they're trying to get to these tech centers and use really smart people to rethink the way they build airplanes so they can make some money in these projects.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Our handle is at WG Lightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering and lightning protection. Strike Tape WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardarrow.com. That's WeatherGuardAero.com.